All right, you guys hear it all the time. The typical, if you like this episode, please rate us, subscribe to us, leave a comment on iTunes or Spotify, wherever. Well, it really does make a difference for this podcast. We're small, we're trying to get bigger, and all of this feeds the algorithm so that iTunes or Spotify or Pandora, wherever you find us at, will rate us higher and higher with the more likes and comments that you guys leave. And always, if you guys find value in these episodes, please leave us a comment on the episode or on the show uh, page. And the best way to help us is to share it off. So again, thank you. And we will talk to you soon. On this episode of After the Battle Campfire, I talk with Tyson Schmidt. He's a good friend and a teammate from the 2018 Warrior Games, where we both competed. Tyson is a Navy cryptological technician, that secret scroll stuff that we can't really get into too much detail into what he did. But we talk about his time in the Navy. We talk about how he recovered from a freak accident that ended up costing him a leg and what he's doing now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of After the Battle Campfire. All right, I'm back, and this time it's actually recording. Um, I'm here with my buddy Tyson Smith, who I met at the uh, Team Navy trials in what 2018. Yeah, Mayport. So was that that was your was that your first trial or was yeah. that your second? That was my first. So are you are you going to participate this year? No, I didn't receive an email. Um, well, I. So Elizabeth, like we kind of talked about the whole story about how, oh yeah, get your certification and we'll bring you out as a coach and thousands of dollars later and I didn't get the invitation to coach. So Oh damn. Yeah, no email for me. Uh I'm not the only person that's happened to, so I don't know. But I was looking forward to, I mean, competing, I mean I did two years, you know, so it's Oh wait, that's right. You did nineteen I keep forgetting about nineteen. Yeah, I did Tampa. Yeah. And uh yeah, I knew. All right. Well, it's unless I get brought back as a mulligan and my time's up and I'd rather coach anyways. I love coaching. And I didn't even think about coaching until um, in 2019, Navy didn't have a golf coach. Right. And a and, couple of pros we use were they, I mean, they're great golf coaches, but when it came to, you know, adaptive golf, they didn't really have a whole lot of, Oh, we'll just do this or just do that. And like Gabe one arm, you know, um, the guy didn't really pay attention to him. Josh Erickson's back was, was jacked up and he didn't pay any attention to him. And so I kind of worked with them or with Rob Fry. Um, I mean, he was like Helen Keller at first hitting the ball. And uh, when we came down to our actual final match of play to see where he scored to make the team, he improved, he improved like by 12 strokes oh, in wow. just a couple of days working with him. Wow. So Rob Fry and his wife, Carrie, they're like, oh, you got to come back as golf coach. Please come back as golf coach. And that's when I kind of planted that seed. And then I talked to Elizabeth and she's like, yeah, get your certifications. We'll bring you back. And that's crazy. Um, but the, you, we'll, we'll get uh, into the Invictus stuff a little bit later, but you, yeah. you're still, are you still going to the next Invictus or what happened with uh, the pandemic? If it actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> It got pushed back twice already. So, well, I thought it got pushed back last year, and then they just said they weren't going to do it till twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. Yeah, so it got, well, it got delayed. Um, it was supposed to be in twenty twenty, right. and then it got delayed until twenty twenty one. 
or 19, they got delayed to 2020. And then that got pushed back. Now it's 2021, I think September. Okay. I thought it was, I, I thought I, I thought I read somewhere that it wasn't happening until 2022. Um, last I heard it was got pushed back to 2021 next year. I think it's May or September of 21. Oh, okay. Okay. So at least that's the email we got for the Invictus coaches. Um, Connie from the air force, she's the head Invictus coach and she's been sending out emails, keeping us in the loop. So, so you guys should be hearing something pretty quick because May is only two months away. Maybe it's September then. What was May? Is it, is it Oregon? I think it was May last year it was supposed to happen because I remember after our camp, uh, people are like going, what the hell are you guys talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but after our camp, uh, so Warrior Games is DOD, Wounded Warriors participating. Invictus is basically the Paralympics. It's hosted in different yeah. countries. But um, I remember you guys were talking about because uh, the blind guy, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head who I was riding the tandem bike with at the camp in January that you weren't at. Jake. He was, Jake. He was saying that they were going to pull you, all you guys late April, May to do a training camp and then go to uh, Belgium or <laughs> Netherlands, wherever the hell the heck yeah, yeah, is. Netherlands. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I, I wanted, I mean, I want to compete. I love competing, you know, I like doing that. And um, But if they were going to still go through with it, this year I, I was kind of tempted to be like you know what I, i'm good because you'd have to it wouldn't be much to, of you know be able to experience i think with the restrictions and everything of you know wearing masks social distancing and then you know you go out there yes you go out there to compete but you're actually like okay well i'm in the netherlands like i'm gonna go out and see some stuff and are you going to be able to bring your family out with you yeah uh, because i mean there there's a whole bunch of question marks that Oh yeah, absolutely. So I kind of expected it, you know, a lot of the people, you know, on the team, we were talking and it, we all were, you know, expecting the, we were planning for the best, but expecting the worst. And yeah. So, well, let's go back to the very beginning. Um, you yeah. were a Navy intelligence specialist, right? Yeah. No, uh, crypto. 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 CT. Yeah, CTT. So did you, Growing up, were you always looking at going to the military? Where'd you grow up? No, I originally was born in La Mirada, California. Um, oh, lived damn, there right for a little bit. Yeah, Southern California. And then we moved up to Tehachapi, California, a small mountain town, uh, kind of in between um, Bakersfield and LA, about two hours north of Los Angeles. Um, lived there until my senior year i moved to flagstaff arizona played my senior year of football there got recruited uh ended up blowing my knee out and didn't get to play um so i was supposed to go to nau got her nau sent me down to mesa community college where i played and got hurt again when i was trying to go back to nau and then asu was interested and blew my knee out and after that i moved home with my parents back to tashby california and just kind of was one of those, like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Like, How old um, were you at that time then? Like, Oh man, I think it was 21, 21, 22. And, uh, I started, I started doing a lot of research with it and I got some family history. Um, uncles in the Navy, um, one uncle was in the Marines, you know? So I just, I was like, I'm not going to sit here and, and live in my parents' house and be a leech. And not that I was being a leech, but 
it's time for me to get my, my crap together. So yeah, I went and talked to the recruiter and I originally walked into uh, the Marines and they came out cause I already took my ASVAB through. It was a general recruiting station. I went and took my ASVAB and scored 98 and I went into Marines and uh, the Navy guy came out as I was walking in and the Marines like, what'd you score? He looked at, it, he was, Oh yeah, you, you don't want to come here. <laughs> and he gave me the Navy guy. And he goes, yeah, he goes with your size. We just would have gave you an M240 and you would have been carried a machine gun around. So go, go, go with the Navy. So I, I tested high and uh, pretty much had my pick and I read CT and it said 75% of job was done in air conditioned spaces. Did they, yeah, did they I'll, lie to you? I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, um, was this post 9-11 or was this pre 9-11? Uh, post. Okay. I knew when I, when nine 11 happened, I remember my mom waking me up and then that was kind of the spark, you know, starting point of me wanting to, to serve. You know, I think that's, and especially seeing how the country was on September, September 12th, you know, um, just made you proud to be an American. Were you, um, were you still in high school or were you done with your college? No, I was still in high school. Okay. Yeah. I graduated high school in, uh, Oh four. Oh, yeah, I was young, man. Damn, you're a young. That was my freshman or soft freshman or sophomore year. So, um, what was, uh, what was boot camp like for you, for you? Um, I was physically, it was, it was nothing, but it was more so the, you know, as they do in boot camp, they, they break you down to build you back up. And the only thing that bothered me really was the freaking cold, man. I was in Great Lakes. I got there October. And we graduated right around the time of uh, Christmas and New Year's. Oh. So we, we got held over past uh, New Year's. Um, and it was, I remember marching in that, your the breath just <laughs> blowing back into your face. And I mean, your eyelashes, your eyebrows were all frozen. And that was freaking miserable. It's just, that's a cold I never want to experience again. I, I don't know how people live up there. Well, you know, uh, I went to, I grew up in Southern California and went to, they sent me to Great Lakes and I showed up on January 27th. Mm. Yeah. Um, it was the old boot camp, So it was, you marched everywhere. You didn't have the ships. I don't know if your yeah. boot camp you, cause they say that the new one, yeah. you're pretty much not going outside that often. Uh, we still had to march. I mean, we had our ship, but you know, we, we didn't have to march to chow. We just walked downstairs for chow and back up. Okay. Uh, some PT we did in our ship, but I mean, we had to march to dental appointments, medical appointments to the pool, to the gym, to go work out. Um, we still did a lot of marching, but battle stations wasn't the actual different buildings we had to march to. It was oh, in that yeah. new facility with the mock ship and everything. Oh, okay. So you guys had, um, at least some protection from the cold where. Yeah. Yeah. No, it wasn't like the old days back, <laughs> back in your, back in your time. Oh, did that's just, yeah, you're right, though. The Chicago, Wisconsin cold is a whole different level of cold. Miserable. Absolutely. And, I mean, we had a cold factor five day. I don't know whether they made that word, that statement up, but it was basically put everything that you can yeah. layer on. Yeah. And that wind, it was the wind. It wasn't even the cold that was the bad. Cold, it was the wind, wind. through you. Yes. You know, you had your pea coat on, you had your um, trench coat on. You had yep. that that sweater that I don't think I ever wore ever again yep. in the Navy. 
your and sweater, just, your scarf. You had to layer your scarf, put your ski mask on, then put your beanie on top of that. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about the ski mask. That was I, think, I think we're the only branch that gets issued a robber's mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to, though. I mean, and the thing that made it so worse up there was that it was that it wasn't like the it was just cold. It was a humid cold. Like I'll back, I go back to my parents' house. We just went back for uh, an early Christmas. And the day we left, I didn't even, I had packed all my sweatshirts, my sweats, everything. I was in gym t-shirt and gym shorts as always. Right. We walked out and it was 17 degrees. Didn't feel bad. It was cold, but it wasn't bad because it was so dry. Yeah. And then we get back to Texas and we had that cold front come through and it's that humid cold. And I mean, I walked outside and it was like 38, uh, 38, 39 degrees. And I mean, I was miserable. (laughs) My joints started hurting. There's, I never noticed the difference between the humid and the dry cold before. And I had flashbacks to Great Lakes. It was was, uh, those Vietnam flashbacks of God, I can't stand this moist cold. So yeah, you're, you're giving me a PTSD just thinking about the cold. (laughs) So after uh, after boot camp, I have no idea where you guys even go to school. Um, Pensacola, Florida. Oh, great! So you go from freezing cold to beautiful weather. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, so we go through. So we're right outside of uh, NAS Pensacola. There's Quarter Station. That's kind of where we do all of our Intel um, CTs, um, ITs primarily. Go there. Um, they have different classes and courses where people will come in for it, but. Um, yeah, we were there and I was there for, went through a school and then shipboard ops, which they actually take you into, it's a separate training class where you actually have the sleep 32 that we work on. You actually sit there and do the different scenarios and whatnot. And then based on where you graduate there is where you get to pick orders. Oh, okay. So and, is, is shipboard ops a part of a school or is that a follow-on school? it's a it's a follow-on so you go through your general your a school and then if you're a tech you go to a different school or okay. if you're just operator you go to a different school and that was right. top, so i yeah. forget you guys are the ct world is a weird world it's it like is, you said, yeah. crypto tech but you have what like four or five sub ratings like There's ctt ctt cti ctr ctm ctn yeah. And we used to be, and then EW, uh, electronic warfare used to be its own thing and CTs were their own thing. Now they combined it. Now there's just so many different. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. It's, it's bananas. How long was your A school then? It wasn't long. I think it was waiting to, cl- the biggest thing was waiting to class up. I think it was down there for six months. Oh, wow. Okay. I think my, my actual school was only two or three months, I think. Um, and waited around Then we did the shipboard ops and shipboard ops was, I think about a month and a half. Okay. So how was your time in Pensacola? Uh, It was good. Uh, that's when I started getting the golfing a little bit and it was more, but it was more so of just, Hey, we're, we have off today. Let's, we're going to go get hammered and golf, you know, never kept track and just, did learn to happy Gilmore pretty good though. Hey, that's a good thing to know. That was the only way I could hit straight is if I happy Gilmore, <laughs> but did that or constantly living at the beach, drinking, partying, you know, young sailor life. Yeah. Um, so did, did you, uh, you, you were probably one of the older people in your class and I, I'll guess. I think I was the second. No, I was the third oldest. Outside of fleet returnees. 
Yeah, there was, uh, yeah, uh, one fleet returning, and then there was a Marine that was older than me. But oh, okay. other, so was, the third so one, guys, so we, we combined with uh, Marines through that. Through, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear my kids in yeah, the background. Yeah, not a problem at all, man. <laughs> so um, what happens after you get done with um, ship ops? With your, um, what goes on next? So ship ops, like I said, based on how you – how you finish, how you graduate is how you choose orders. So there was uh, one, I finished second in my class. So the guy, the first guy got a cruiser out of uh, San Diego and it was a bunch of Virginia shit, which I didn't want. I didn't want to go back to that cold. <laughs> and then there was a LH was the LHA or LHD out of San Diego. And there was a frigate out of Mayport. And I'm like, I heard everything about frigate life. So I'm going to go there. So I did frigates. So I picked that. So I moved to Mayport, just inside of Jacksonville, where we met at our trial. So that was my old stomping ground there. Oh, okay, that's that's why you were kind of really familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can't believe you picked a frigate. I loved it, man. Because I, I, I looked at, you know, as far as because I talked to my instructor about it, and he was he kind of explained to me. He goes, you know, carrier, you're going to get lost. Um, there's so many people there, cruisers, I mean, you did a little bit smaller thing, but when you get a frigate, like it's a small crew, tight net, you're going to get good training and other people you work with, you're not going to get lost, you know, in the masses. Cause a frigate's so, typically what? 300 less. Oh, really? It's like 300 round, about 300 crew. Yeah. Total. Huh. I thought, I thought the frigates were a smaller crew than a smaller crew than a destroyer. They are. Oh, okay. Then I'm completely thinking destroyers were way tinier than what they were. No, it's, uh, so it's minesweepers, then frigates, and then uh, destroyers, cruisers. Yeah. Okay. So we were, uh, frigates used to be, um, a lot of them used to be Coast Guard ships. Oh, really? The cutters, yeah. Okay. So how was your time at sea on board the... Uh... <coughs> I slept like a baby. Really? First day I was sick as a dog, man. That, that first time, I mean, you're like, when people talk, you hear these old, you know, salty sailor stories about walking on walls and, you know, whatever. I've been on a cruise ship before. It's not that bad. And then we get out and you no know, shit on the frigate before we put our, our stabilizing fins out, which you're only supposed to do during um, anti-ship warfare operations when you're looking for subs and stuff. Oh, okay. So we'll, put the, we'll put the phased array out the back of the ship. It's basically just real long rubber tube that's about this big and it's got this big cone on the end and it's what, how you look for submarines so you, when we put that out we put the fence sailors out and then we'd, we'd be smooth rocking but when that was done you pull them in and then the ship is just you go through the straits of Hermuz and or no straits of Gibraltar and through straits of Gibraltar and that's some rough shit really and I, I, mean, I would have figured that wouldn't have been that bad uh, you rock oh no it's I mean it, you, you list my buddy okay. posted a picture on uh Facebook one time and I mean I'm not kidding like the horizons like this and our ship was like that oh damn it was, we it was we got close to um max list quite a few times going through the Straits of Gibraltar but slept like a baby man put your seatbelts on tuck your boots under your mattress and your rack so it lifts your rack up it didn't move no and I barely fit in that damn thing as it was so I wasn't falling out anyway so what was your day-to-day things like? So I'm under, when I was underway, I did uh, anti-ship missile defense. So primarily I sat at the slick, look for um, 
emitters that were associated with threat platforms, um, Russian ships, um, Iranian ships, um, surface to air, surface to surface missile platforms, um, air for, uh, uh, aircraft emitters, you know, anything that was a threat, that was my job. I would sit there and look and get around screen and you just get different blimps that would pop up different oh. symbols and then you have to click on it and it would give you different parameters, PRF, PRI, pulse duration, uh, scan width, all this stuff. And based on all those numbers, you'd be able to tell through all the training, oh, that's that's this radar associated with this Russian ship. So then I would let other people in combat know and then we'd basically be ready to defend the ship. So that's what I was going to ask you. So you you were, your job had you up in CIC? Or were you yeah. not? Okay. Yeah, I was, like, I was tucking the corner of combat. So if anyone listening or watching, it's you've seen many Navy ship, many Navy movies where it's that dark room with the, the blue lights and the blue yeah. lights. So um, how hairy was that? I mean, did you guys ever get into anything where you felt? You know, we never had any anything, any active ES. Um, electronic surveillance we didn't have any es on um any major threat platforms that were active um you know you get out there and you you, you come across different ships you know whatever but wasn't anything we never had any active like target acquisition radar ping in our area um we, we went to africa we primarily my first deployment we did uh well both were aps primarily it was the west coast of Africa, um, Sierra Leone, uh, Tomo, uh, Sao Tome, Togo, uh, Ghana. We were all up and down, Morocco, all that, and doing African partnerships. We did for VBSS, we were actually training guys, um, different African navies on, you know, boarding techniques, searching, you know, all that stuff. Um, and then my second deployment was a follow-on to that, but it was more geared towards the training for these African navies. And then we got rerouted to um, the Med after uh, Benghazi. Um, oh, yeah. So we did so, a lot of UAV stuff out there. So what was your uh, what was your Liberty time like out there? Uh, depending on where we were. Um, um, Africa was humbling. You know, you go to some places and you get off and it just really makes you appreciate everything you have here. You know, people bitching about my direct TV is too expensive. Like, dude, shut up. Like, you don't even know what you have. And I could see kids making flip-flops out of plastic bottles they flattened. You know? Oh, wow. Um, it just, it was heartbreaking, but very awakening um best meal i ever had in my life was in uh lagos nigeria a brazilian steakhouse that was pretty good if i won the lottery i'd probably fly back there and eat there again that's a interesting thought uh brazilian steakhouse in lagos, in lagos nigeria <laughs> yeah that's what i thought the guy told me about it and i was like crazy so we went we were the first people on our ship and I hated cheesecake until I ate at that place. And like, guy gave us free desserts because we were the first people from our ship. Oh, wow. And I got three different types of cheesecake. Oh, God, man. I didn't want that food to leave my body. <laughs> I, I would have sold my butthole shut if I could have. That's how good that food was. So how were you guys treated when you guys were in 
these African countries? Um, I had a lot of friends. Um, a lot of friends. You know, you get off the ship. My friend, my friend, good price for you, my friend, you know. Um, but I was we never had any hostility. Um, it was a lot of a lot of people were grateful that we were there. Where the hammer is, it's above the the red one, above the dryer in the laundry room. Okay. Um, sorry. I saw it. But uh, you know, never got treated with hostility. Oh, nice. Like anywhere um, I've been deployed to. Um, the most hostility I've actually experienced was stateside. Really? Yeah. Um, but you go over there. I mean. African people were, did they trade anything they could to get stuff? A white t-shirt got me a lot of cool stuff. Um, I had a guy and his daughter pick me and a couple of my buddies up in Sicily and drive us to their house. And they did a full on Italian meal for us, homemade sangria. It was amazing, you know? Um, but then you get back here and that's where you get the hostility. It's just, it's it, it, you love to be home but you hate to see it yeah you know you hate to be gone but you love you know how nice people are yeah no i i completely hear you on that so you you had said that you guys went up um into the med after benghazi yeah were you guys ever um in a situation where you were going to deploy uh assets as far as um we we didn't directly from our ship um of course, classification stuff. There's a lot of stuff we can't talk about, but uh, we did some UAV operations um, where we'd actually track people that were associated or linked to the attack. We did a lot of UAV tracking, and then we worked with different three-letter agencies to commandeer or do whatever they did. So, yeah. so with you, let's guys, leave it at that. With with the um, why am I drawing a blank? With the frigates. Were you guys deployed independently of like a task group or were yeah. you part of like a... No, we were all terror? independent teaming. So you guys were out there literally by yourself most of the yeah. time then? Oh, that's all we had was us. Uh, we did have... Um, we had a helipad, so something, you know, shit hit the fan or somebody was hurt, which we had to do a couple times. Um, people got hurt. We had to actually medevac them out through the helo. Um but yeah, we were, we were on our own. But I mean, the good thing with being a frigate, I mean, we got we got unrep here and there, you know, especially when we were out for an extended time. But being on your own as a frigate, it meant a lot of port stops. Oh, nice. nice. So we got a lot of a lot of good times that you can't remember in different ports. <laughs> yeah. so. so, I mean, how was your first unrep? So people know it's when basically you try not, you have a large ship come alongside and start pushing supplies and fuel over. What was that like for you the first time? That was the uh, first time I, I saw it. It was, it was like, holy cow, this is pretty freaking awesome. Like, this is how we get our fuel, you know, um, the JP5, which is what we use for the helicopters. And then you get actual fuel for the ship. And um, they would basically have these beanbag launcher guns. They would shoot, you know, boom, big beanbag across the heaving line. And then we would pull it over and it'd get hooked up to a clamp on the ship and they would tighten the line and they would bring stuff across to us. Um, same thing. They would you'd do the same thing with a fuel tank line, the um, food, you know, delivery type stuff line, all your dry goods. Um, they'd clip them over and then we'd have to just ride alongside of them and pump it over. And 
that was it was pretty cool. It was I mean, it, I, was, it, uh, I was a heaver for a little bit. In perspective, I mean, you're what maybe a hundred yards away. Um, yeah, sometimes it's even closer than that. I mean, depending on sea state and. You know, if, it, if it's a rough sea state, you're going to have a little bit further distance, but they do got to get so close to shoot the lines across to heave them in and then they'll stay, you know, so much of the distance. But if the sea state was bad, they wouldn't, they would cancel the unwrap. You just right. have to wait till the next day or you just hang out in the same area until the sea state calmed down. Same thing with VBSS, you know, it's, certain states. it's not just so people understand. It's not that the ships are stopped. You yeah, guys no, are still cruising. Yeah, yeah. And those MSC ships are probably significantly larger than you guys, right? Oh, yeah. We, you probably, you could probably fit 10 to 15 of our ships at least, I would say, in one of them. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't realize they were that big. Yeah, they're pretty big. So we, damn. Okay. So you're talking. So they'd be sitting like this, and then we would be doing this because of the sea state. Oh, wow. They would be level. Yeah, it was, it was, it's kind of a, I mean, typical shipping container style ship is pretty big. I mean, one yeah. one small. Damn. So, speaking of VBSS, were you on a VBSS team? Yes, I was uh, the security team leader, uh, breacher, and MSCO or MS Missio, Maritime. I forget what the shit even stands for anymore. Maritime Intelligence Shipboard Officer. So, processing intel and all that. Um, talking to people, but we primarily just did practice boardings and stuff like that. What was that like working with the, uh, the partner nations teaching them? Uh, pretty awesome. Actually. Um, we worked, where were we? We were in, uh, Sao Tome in Togo and, uh, primarily French speaking there. So we couldn't speak one of our, uh, one of our ITs was very fluent so we basically made him our um translator so we went through about a week of training with these guys you know uh room clearing um moving through hallways searching for you know contraband weapons whatnot detainee handling um situation de-escalation all different types of survival stuff, whatever. And it took us a lot longer because of having to have the translator. But, you know, a lot of this stuff, you, you, the first day was like, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. But then, you know, second, third, fourth day came around and then they kind of, you, you're able to talk with sign language, but not actual official sign language. Yeah. You know, guys, you got to look and you got to, you know, cut this corner. And yeah, it was, it was very, very humbling. Uh, I had one of the guys message me on Facebook for years after one of the guys from Nigeria. Oh, nice. And uh, lost contact with him over over the years, but I mean, he would still message me with, I mean, broken English, but you know, how do, how do you do this? So I'd have to get like a French translator through Google, <laughs> send it to him in French. So, but no, it was, uh, it was an awesome experience, man. It was... It was fun. It was, that was probably one of the things I missed most about the Navy, you know, uh, being out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. So after, uh, after the frigate, where'd you go? Uh, frigate, I got picked up. So I applied for the MOSAP internship 
uh, Military Operational Electronic Intelligence Signals Analysis Program. I like MOSAP better. Yeah, it's a it's an internship <laughs> through the NSA. So I was in the Navy, but I was I was working through the NSA. So, so how, did, how long had you been in at that point in time? That was four years when I went to Denver. I was at four years. Oh wow! So I transferred from Mayport to to Denver for that program. Well, Aurora, just outside of Denver, um, at Buckley Air Force Base, and I went through. The MOSAP internships, basically a three-year aggressive master's level education for signals analysis. Oh, wow. So you go through, I think by the time I graduated, I went through over 1,800 hours of classroom training. And I freaking hate math. And, oh my God, the amount of math I had to do with that freaking program was just crazy. Uh, but, yeah, so I went through the 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 three-year training for that 1800 hours and you have to do what they call panels it's on the job training so you do three different um panels different subsets you can work in you know unmanned uh even specific stuff sorry the room is right outside the door it's probably a lot of shit i actually can't hear it oh you can't <laughs> i can't uh but so there's three different on the job trainings you do with different subsets of the community that you work with um, different agencies, different cellular agencies had different, you know, missions they were working on that you could actually kind of fine tune your, your skills in different subsets. And then you actually had to get certified as a NCS national cryptologic schools instructor on top of that. So you had to go through NCS training where you actually had to learn specific courses and teach them so that you can get your NCS. And then I ended up getting my, uh, NTS, my master training specialist on top of that while I was there so that I could be a teacher. So what rank are you at this point in time? I was, uh, well, I went, I made first in Denver. I was a second. I went from uh, E3 to E5 on the frigate. Okay. And then I made E6 and then uh, my ankle happened and went downhill and all that other stuff and I never, I was eligible to test, but my board was coming back like the next week that I was getting out and it just was pointless for me to take the test. And, you know, so. So did you leave, um, the internship as a first? Huh? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you go after the, uh, the internship? You said to Denver. Uh, right? I got transferred from, Denver down here to San Antonio, uh, to Brook Army Medical Center to a Navy medical holding unit. Oh, okay. After my amputation. That's right. So I, was amputated, I went back to Denver and they were basically like, yeah, well, you need to be down there. So we're just going to put a quick transfer in. So I would think I was, I left San Antonio from like, I was down here for my amputation physical therapy and all that. I left here, went to Denver and I was in Denver for three days, four days. I packed up all my shit, did all my checkout from the facility and packed up and moved back down here. So, so let's, uh, let's talk about that. You were in a car accident, right? No, no, I was uh, unloading a truck in the rain after a volunteer event for my command. Oh, okay. Indiana Jones was going out the garage while the driveway was raised up from the garage. And as I slipped, my toe caught that crack. And my ankle snapped past 90 degrees out 
and then I actually folded and collapsed down. Oh, wow. A trimolar fracture dislocation uh, completely shattered my uh, my fibula, cracked my tibia completely, like in half at the bottom. Um, it was after working hours. So our medical in Colorado was contracted off base. We didn't have an actual base emergency medical. So called medical and well, it's a four day weekend. Everyone's gone. So we'll see you on Tuesday. I mean, see you on Tuesday. My legs crooked. So my, my roommate called 911. They took me to a non-surgical ER, reduced the splint. Um, I reduced the ankle, put it back into place. And before the uh, pain meds even really kicked in. Oh, that was, that was awesome. Um, so did that. And then laid basically, they were like, well, you need surgery, but there's nothing we can do. So I'm going to send you this guy tomorrow. So I went to another specialist and he wouldn't touch me because we had TRICARE because I had TRICARE. And uh, he said, you, know, you need to call TRICARE and you get in touch with your, your PCM and then go from there. I'm primary care manager. And, uh, so I was like, well, shit, all right. So I, I called TRICARE and they said, well, you've already went to the ER. So if you do go to somewhere, to another emergency room and you have surgery, it's on you. You have to basically come to us to get reimbursement. So called the nurse emergency line. Uh, everybody it was basically like, yeah, we just don't want to mess with you. It's a four-day weekend. We don't want to mess with you. You know, We'll, do, we'll see you on Tuesday. And uh, a, a girl that I was talking to at the time had ankle surgery through doctors. So I knew he took TRICARE. So I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm calling this guy. So I called and scheduled an appointment through him. And I came in and saw him, I think on that Monday or Tuesday, that Tuesday morning, I went and saw him and my ankle was probably that big around. Oh, Jesus. And he's like, I can't operate on you right now. Uh, he's like, if I cut you open, I'm not going to be able to sell you back together. So here's some anti-inflammatories, here's some pain pills, you know, here's ice pack, put it, between, you know, put it behind your knee, keep your leg elevated, drink some whiskey. You know, I'll see you next week. So that was it. I laid with a completely shattered leg for almost two weeks before I had my surgery. So what that did, caused permanent nerve damage. What did your command do during that time? Uh, filed an incident report. Um, called nature. I was okay. Not much. So not a lot of support then. No, it was out of sight, out of mind. I mean, same thing when I was in Denver and I moved and I transferred down here for my surgery and all that. It was out of sight, out of mind. It, it took, it took, uh, two good buddies of mine that one was a chief and one was the first class. Um, it took them actually going to my command and saying like, Hey, Schmidt's down there on his own. He doesn't have anybody down there. Like, someone's got to go check on him. Someone's got to go see he's okay. So they made some kind of thing, training trip to Lackland. And they went there for one day just to look over a program they were doing. And they had a couple of days and they just came and hung out with me, went golfing and grabbed dinner or whatever, which was good. I mean, as far as, you know, the mental state, that was, that really helped out while I was down here. But when I was, when I was out of sight, out of mind, they didn't give a shit. He's not here. He's not our problem. So was this, this was out, the command that you were attached to in Denver was different than the internship or was that still part of? No, it was still part of it. it was okay. just, so like the, the internship is, was through the Navy and it, uh, it was NETSI Naval Education Training Center. 
it was all it was through collected through that but our command housed the people going through oh, that. Okay. So there was, there was the support fires. command yeah um so there's the mosap program which is operated there's mesap which is more of tech oh, okay side. so they kind of managed both of us but so if i was on which i was on um one of my ojt's when i got hurt and it was uh unmanned systems i was developing a whole training program for them and uh they when i got hurt and i got shipped they didn't even never heard from them my command was here and there spotty you know the only time i really talked to them was when i called them for hey this is what is going on out here i need help with this or i need what do i need to do you know what do you guys need for me so i can get this done or whatever that was it you know didn't get a lot of support so how long did how long did you go between the first surgery and then deciding to do the amputation uh, I had my first surgery and then about, I think it was three months later, I had all the hardware taken out because um, I had multiple pins through my leg. Um, I had surgical mess wrapped around my fibula, so they had to take, they had to take some of that shit out. And then um, I went through, I can't tell you how many hours, months of physical training and my was pain, it, my pain was through the roof. I couldn't take it anymore. I mean, I was, was I was that down here in San Antonio. Or no, was that, that was in Colorado. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I was, I mean, I was drinking every day, um, functioning, full on functioning alcoholic. I'd go to work drunk. I had a bottle of vodka in my truck. I would drink that at lunch when I took my pain pills because my leg was always hurting. I felt like my leg was on fire. I had no clue, but at the time I had CRPS, the complex regional pain syndrome. Right. Um, didn't get much support. You know, it was, I was seeing if, oh, well, he's using his leg as an excuse to get out of work. You know, I got a lot of that shit. Um, so I was, I was done. I was, I was going to commit suicide. I had all my stuff packed, letters wrote, and uh, I got put in for a referral for my P, or not my uh, PCM, my PT, put me in for a referral for a second opinion with another doctor. And that doctor I met with, which I, I, I got to find out his name. I got to figure it out and send him a thank you letter because he kind of saved my life. Uh, he told me about the CFI down here and the IDEO brace that they did. So I went to my command, didn't get much support from him. And I was like, all right, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try this out myself. So I called the CFI directly and talked to the case manager there and said, look, this is where I'm at. I'm not getting support from my command. What do you need from me? What do I need to do to come down here? This is where I'm at. And they were awesome. The caseworkers at CFI, they, I mean, they, they pulled strings, they bust their ass. And I put my, I just took my request to my, my CO directly and said, look, here's the deal. This is what's going on. This is my probably best chance of having somewhat of a normal life again. So he signed off on it and came down here in the CFI. I did the ideal brace for about a year. Aggressive. I mean, they were doing all kinds of different stuff. Um, electroshock therapy, sugar water injections down my nerve lines, um, pain, pain management therapy, um, hypnosis, acupuncture, just, I mean, everything, uh, ketamine fusions and nothing worked. And it got to the point where we did, it was about a year and a half in, and I, it was frustrating to see these guys with the ideal braces 
struggling, you know, still in pain. Will you explain what the Ideo brace is? Ideo? Yeah, it's uh, intrepid dynamic exoskeletal orthosis. So it's essentially the mind, the, the thing behind it is it's this casing that goes on the bottom of your foot and it has these three things that go up the back of your leg and then it clamps on. So it's, it's a prosthetic that goes that you shouldn't keep your foot, but it's a prosthetic that goes on the outside to keep you walking. Oh, okay. And it's, it's all about the redirection of force around your ankle. Right. So I would stand on the toe of the plate. Well, the, as I stood on the toe, there's these bars that went up the back and then clamped onto the front of my shin underneath my knee. So as that went, it would take the force around my ankle and it would come up these beams. And then that force would go on my shin and it redirects it. And it helped. I mean, I was before the brace, I was walking sideways. I had my foot crooked out to the side. So one foot was here. My bad foot was like this when I walked. So it was this way. And uh, it would, I mean, if I tried to walk over my toes, I was on the ground. Oh, okay. So did the ideal brace. And I was able to, I mean, I was, I was walking, I was hiking, I went hunting. Um, but when I was done, I was done. I felt it. And I was at the CFI and the pain was getting worse and just getting worse and getting worse. And you see these guys that the first time I was down there, these guys had ideos. And then the next time I went down there six months later, the guy that had the, the ideo was amputated and was running, smiling, like went from depressed to having his leg cut off, running and being in a completely different state of mind. It was frustrating because I didn't want amputation. I wanted to get this to work. But I had three struts, so it was three brown tension rods down the back of my leg. And the doctor didn't tell me at the, the start, but he said any the past three guys he's had, including myself, that had three rods ended up getting amputations because their ankles were that messed up. So, you know, seeing these guys, these, these amputees running happy, you know, it kind of made it that much worse. It was salt on the wound. Like, so I told the doctor, I was like, we need to look into this because if you know this guy goes from from this to that and i'm still here six months later it's that's a problem like it's not even just like a physical thing it's a mental thing so that's when they got me in through they got me seeing a psych they got me seeing a pain management specialist um man i mean that's when like that's when i started getting creative with the treatments and then everything wasn't working so the doctor was basically like all right well we can do a ketamine fusion. He said, basically it's a day rape drug. We put it on a drip line in your IV and you're going to be high as a shit, high as a kite for a few days. But what it is, it's essentially how explained it to me was like resetting your uh, router on your internet. You hit the reset, it overloads all the systems and brings it back down until they hit their optimum operating level. And then it resets. Same thing with your nerves. So he put me on this ketamine drip and, Man, I was, I wasn't like seeing shit, but the layout of the room changed. The door was here and the windows over here. At some point they changed. Oh, wow. And, uh, the TV changed spots on the wall. Uh, just the layout looked like almost like my brain flipped, like my vision flipped. And I heard the, uh, the George Jetson space car <laughs> down the hallway um yeah i got i was i was so drunk i couldn't pee i had to get a catheter um but they took uh, once it was all done after three days my pain was 
good. I'm like, well, Hey, I think this is, this is going to work. So I got discharged from the hospital and, um, went back to my room and next thing I know, the next morning I woke up and I mean, that pain came back with a vengeance. And the doctor said, if that didn't work, then that, that was his last ditch effort that he recommended amputation. But I had to get another, uh, second opinion from another doctor there that was this specialized in the amputations and this this doctor comes in he's got my file he walks in like doesn't even look at me he goes like this he goes yeah i'd have cut that thing off a fucking year ago and then just walks out <laughs> yeah. gave me his, basically gave me his blessing to have my leg amputated so during oh. all of this um i know you said you're not getting any support from your command yeah. what about family friends are you doing this by yourself or I know you're really into your family. Yeah. Yeah. My family's been close. I mean, I, throughout the whole process, my sister's a nurse, my grandma was a nurse for 30 something years, you know, so I, any like major decision I would, I would call or do like a three-way call with them and, and talk it out. My sister would, she you know, being the nurse, she would take what I gave her to her doctors. She knew. And they would say, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's, I would have done this. So that's, that's exactly what I would have done. And yeah, I weighed out all my options. Um, but as far as command, it was basically just, they, they'd call to check, see if I was still alive and do you need anything from us? Well, you know, uh, okay, cool. All right. Bye. Like, oh, okay. What yeah. about, um, what about the Navy in general? Um, the liaison's office at BAMC or, at some point no, you get man. hooked up, you get hooked up with safe Harbor. Um, I got hooked up with safe Harbor once. Um, this, this other guy came in and I can't remember his name. Now it's drawing a blank, but our command was crap. It really was. We were detachment from uh, Corpus. Um, it was a whole different world. We didn't know who our CO was, who our CMC was. If there was an issue, we didn't know who to go to. We were isolated just our, exact or our direct chain of command there yeah and yeah, I, it, you know they didn't give a shit so we didn't have much of a support system there we did have the the wolf sack the warrior family support center um that helped out a lot because they had game nights they had bingo they had movies video games they brought uh, massage therapists in leather working classes all this stuff to keep you mentally off of what am I going to do with my life after this? Or, you know, what can I do to help myself with this? They kind of took a lot of that worry out and they brought different people in to talk to you about stuff. And um, that helped. The CFI was always awesome. They had, you know, the pain docs and psychs there. Um, but as far as Navy, you didn't have shit at all. And Ruben, that was his name. Ruben took over for the Navy um, at... I can't remember the building it was, but he took over and he's actually the one that got me in touch with Megan McAllister. Megan came out for a site visit and he kept telling me about, Oh, warrior games, the adaptive sports and you know, this and that. I was like, no, I'm like, I'm not a Navy SEAL dude. I wasn't like blown up an IED or shot or you know, anything like that. Like I don't deserve this. Like let other people do that. They, they deserve it. Whatever. Kept turning them down, turning them down. Well, he got Megan to come out. And Megan sat down and talked to me and she was like, you realize our the Navy's first wounded warrior was a motorcycle wreck. That was the Navy's first wounded warrior. It wasn't a SEAL. It wasn't anybody that was heroic act. Like that's not what this program is for. And then she broke it down. I still kind of fought it for a while. 
And then Megan didn't give up. And, uh, that was, she was the one that got me into the whole or convinced me to give the whole warrior games trials and things a shot. So let's jump back a little bit. Um, how was your, how was your post amputation recovery as far as um, after, after it happened? Cause I've, I have been around Brook army medical center since 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have seen so many amputees go in there and come out, like you said, alive. Oh, yeah. it, it's weird that, uh, the first guy I remember, he was a army first sergeant. He had been at Bethesda or Walter Reed for, I think like three weeks came here, got his amputation. I met him probably two weeks out. And by the fifth week of his prosthetic, he was on his prosthetic at like week five by like week nine, he was jogging to say the least. Yeah. I weighed too much to jog. I broke, they made a running leg for me, but that was when I was like (laughs) my two ninety. And I took three steps and the whole thing snapped. And like, yeah, you're, you're too fat, man. You got to lose weight before you're running like, but, um, no, I came out, I mean, I came out of surgery in less pain than I did going in. Like I was in agonizing pain going into surgery. When I came out, I was cracking pirate jokes and shit to my mom, you know, cause she was torn up, you know, I'm, I'm her baby. I'm the, I'm the youngest child, and, you know, seeing me have my leg cut off. I mean, it's, it's emotionally taxing on a mom, you know, but I came around the corner and they were in the waiting room waiting for me to get wheeled by on the bed and, I don't know what I said. I was, I was, I was still kind of coming out of being under. I remember cracking jokes about like going to Tortuga or some shit. Like it's a pirate party or it was ridiculous. But when I get, I was smiling the whole time, my mom, once she saw that I was like, that was, that was, I mean, it was me smiling for the two years prior. It was rare. You know, I didn't smile and laugh. I mean, I didn't let people see me cry either, but you know, there's that whole demeanor change. Right. Um, my, uh, the nerve block they put in my hip fell out in the middle of the night because I didn't want it in. I pulled it out. Um, and I, I was good. I mean, I took minor amounts of painkillers, but the pain that I was dealing with, with the CRPS to have my leg cut off, that was nothing. You know I mean? I was significantly better off with my amputation. Um, and I was healing me. I was flying through my healing and I was staying at the Fisher house and whoever mounted their, uh, their shower chairs didn't mount them properly. These drywall screws. And I was sitting and I, man, I was, my leg was, was wrapped up and I leaned forward to, to wash my leg or something like that. Or no, I'd shampoo my hair. And I leaned forward to, to, to rinse my hair off and the shower chair broke. I mean, my nub hit the ground and I kicked and my nub hit the wall and my, my, my stitch site just went like this. Your masks are hanging on the door. Yeah. I put it on the door or it's on the table. Did you ever pick it up off the table? I asked you. Um, mom cleaned the table. Oh, ask mom. (laughs) It's all good. I can't wait for next Wednesday. Good night. How, uh, what was I going to say? How, um, how long after the surgery was that, that you, oh man, that was that little crash. It was right after I got my stitches out. So it was probably two weeks, Ooh. week and a half, two weeks. 
I mean, my skin was looking good. And I even like, if you actually look at my nub, the sides, so like the sides of my nub, I'm trying to like right here, this, this whole side and this whole side was clear. This whole middle thing was like, yeah, I have a scar about that big. Oh, wow. it, it, they got it. it was bad. I had to get x-rays to make sure I didn't break my bones. Um, that was pretty miserable, but I would have been up and walking and running a lot earlier, but that slowed me down. They had to use, uh, was it pig intestine ground pig intestine, like powder? I guess it's some kind of enzymes or whatever helps with healing. So they, they put this pig intestine powder crap and then put this like clear jelly sealer stuff on it. And then they let it, let it sit there for like two days they pulled it off and it was all white and pussy and bubbly, but they cleaned it off and it was, I mean, it healed like that. And they just put it, they covered it with silver lawn. That oh, was that's it. crazy. I didn't even know that, that was, was a thing. I'm like, you guys are putting bacon on my legs. What are you <laughs> talking about? No, this is what it broke down the enzymes and how they're something about their enzymes help healing process. And yeah, that was, I wonder, so one of the things about Brook Army Medical Center is uh, one, the CFI, it's world, it's like the best of the oh, best yeah. for, for amputation. That place saved my life. And, and burn patients. But the yeah. other part that people don't know about is that there's also the Institute of Surgical Research. Mm -hmm. And I remember probably the year I got my med board back and left, they were talking about this stuff called pixie dust, where it helped regrow someone's finger, uh, the tip of their finger that they'd cut off. And, uh -huh. one, um, and it sounds exactly like what you just described. It was a powder Maybe. that they put on and something to do with, but I think it also had something to do with stem cells too, but. I think I, it they, probably was. They did, they did uh, stem cell injection into my ankle when I was going through the salvation part of it. That was some painful shit right there. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. They had a little bottle. They'd spray the cold water on it to freeze it. And, but I mean, the needle's that freaking long and they're jamming it all the way into the center of your ankle. Ooh. Yeah. But even the stem cells didn't even, didn't even help. So. Damn. Yeah. So, um, gotta ask, cause you were saying that you were really low, uh, before you head down to Brook Army or down to the CFI. Yeah. So did, did the amputation, curb your your drinking and your depression or yeah um like so when i was in denver it was i mean i was functioning i mean i dread beers in my truck i was driving drinking it was stupid looking back but i just didn't care it was the only thing that helped with the pain right but after i got done with my amputation the pain was significantly less and i didn't need the alcohol to do it and um yeah i, I had a was it, I discovered my faith, rediscovered my faith going through this process, which is probably one of the things I'm most thankful for. Um, I had a drug problem when I was young, not like drug problem. I had a drug problem as like I was drugged to church by my aunt when I lived with her and it just turned me away from church. I hated it. And then, you know, went through my divorce and then right after my divorce, I shattered my leg and then was busting my ass trying to get better, still working, you know, in a wheelchair still with crutches, still busting my ass for my command. And then, you know, didn't get sailor of the year, which kind of blew my mind. And a lot of people that worked with me, 
Um, so that was a kick in the nuts. Then right after that, it was, Oh yeah, you're, you're never going to walk right again, let alone ever. You're, you're never going to run, let alone walk right again. The rest of your life. So it was just one shit pile after the other. And, um, I was down here and I was going through my stuff and I walked and saw some homeless people, bought them a bunch of, uh, McDonald's, helped them out and just got to talk to them. A bunch of them were, were veterans and that just kind of broke my heart and opened my eyes that I really don't have that bad. You know, I gotta, I gotta turn my shit around. So I, I don't, to this day now, I won't touch hard liquor. That's kind of the one that, that kind of took me to the dark spots. So I won't do that. I'll have beer here and there or whatever, but it's not like I'm, I'm crazy drinking like I used to. Yeah. Um, if I'm around good company, you know, sitting around, if you and I were sitting around a campfire, yeah, I'd sip some whiskey with you. But if it's, if it's not good company, then I won't do it. Right. Set um, setting. Yeah. But so that, that helped out. So I really, that would, I was able to kind of cut back, but then I was in recovery, my recovery room and the guy that was in the bed next to me, his wife worked for uh wounded warrior project here in San Antonio. And she went to a community Bible church, church. I went to. We're going to go. You leaving? Okay. Love you. Hold on. Time out. Okay. <laughs> um, so we, what are you doing here? Get out of here. Get, <laughs> get. Um, so she worked for her project and went to community Bible church. And I was kids. Why can't I say man? So she went to community Bible church and she started talking to my parents about it because my parents it was during Easter. My parents were hung out with me in the in the hotel room. And I told them, like, hey, go to church. You don't have to stay here with me, right? Um, so they went to a church. I can't remember what it was, but they're like, yeah, it's a good thing you didn't go because it would have completely turned you off from church. We were like the youngest people there. My parents are like oh, wow. 50s, early 60s <laughs> at the time. They're like, yeah, we're the youngest people there. So I'm like, well, that's good. Um, and then, so she told my parents about CBC. And then right after that, a girl, a friend of mine, Shelby, who was going through functional mobility program, one of the programs to see if I was doing with me, because she had a hip replacement, army um, screw her hip up. So she had her hip replacement. And um, so we were sitting there talking and she brought up CBC as well. Like, it's an amazing church. You got to check it out. Good night. Bye. I love you. Have fun. Um, so I was like, all right, let's check it out. So we went and that church just completely changed my life the pastor there was awesome it's considered a mega church but mom says bye bye good it's night. all good man um, <laughs> so it's a mega church but it doesn't feel like a mega church you know like i'm not religious but um i do know that there are tons of huge churches here in san antonio yeah um i'm actually thinking of one that's off of 35 going north past uh past book army and medical center what is the difference between like one of these large churches you know four or five hundred people and a mega church um so i think our church cbc i think is the 13th 
something largest church in the United States. Like Joel Dean's church is like a mega church compared to our church. Oh, okay. Because like he he has like a convention center, doesn't he? Or something yeah, it's like that. gigantic. Um, it's freaking crazy. So we have we have a big. So we have you know most the average church will have maybe like a Saturday evening service and like one or two Sunday services. So our church has a Saturday evening service and four Sunday services. Oh, okay. Okay. And it fits. I mean, it's stadium seating. It fits probably two or 3000 people per service per service. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, granted because of COVID and social distancing, all that stuff, it's not that full, but, um, it's still, it's big, biggest church I've ever been to, but. I mean, that's, that's drawing a lot of people in. So what, pre-COVID, 10,000 people? Oh, probably a weekend, if not more. Wow. Um, but, you know, it's one thing that, like, I love about that church is it's not, you have to do this, you have to tithe, you have to do this. It's, look, if you can do it, you can do it. We can do everything online. We have boxes you can drop your, your donations to if you want. And... You know, it's, it was kind of a thing to not talk about money, but the thing I love about this pastor is that he's straight up is like, look, this is this here, here, look at this. This is our finances. This is where we're at. This is what we owe, you know, whatever. But even though we're paying this, we're still putting this much percentage of what we bring into our community. And oh, that's good. We paid off a bunch of people who started throwing donations at the church. We paid our, our churches completely debt free. Like they own the building outright, own the land outright. They're debt free built a park that they opened up to the city that's ADA uh, compliant park. So kids in wheelchairs can actually go into this playground and play, um, paid that off in cash. And now they're the amount of money they bring in that they turn around and put into mission trips, um, into the community, everything. It's just, it definitely makes me proud to be part of the church for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's helped me, man. I met my wife through it. So never thought I, those words would come out of my mouth. And I know you're right there with me. <laughs> yeah. Surprises as much as I am. But. So with, um, with all of that happening after the, after the surgery, finding faith, what was, what was your first experience with your first prosthetic like? Uh, painful at first. Um, but it was, it was, exciting and emotional um i don't know man it was because you have fluid volume build up in your leg right the first time i stepped on my leg it felt like i was getting stabbed by thousands of needles but then i was just all that swelling that fluid volume getting pushed out of the prosthetic right and the first couple steps i took i i just stopped and i cried I mean, not full on bald, but I mean, I was just like, come on, admit it. You full on bald, not in full on bald. I promise that a full ball. Now like Turner and Hooch, any, any movie that has like a, a dog that dies. Yeah. I'll ball. That, that tears my shit up. But I just, I put my, I just holding on the bars. And I just kind of put my head down. And I just closed my eyes and just tears just started out of my, it was emotional. You know, it was the first time in years that I took a step and didn't feel like I was getting stabbed through the ankle, you know? Um, and that, that right there just gave me so much hope moving forward. You know, when I got that first prosthetic, that, that first prosthetic and got used to walk in and it just, 
don't know, man, still kind of is surreal today looking back at it from where I was to where I am now. So knowing, um, and actually I had on the show, Eric Morante, I don't know if you ever met him. He was big at the CFI. He got blown up three weeks, four weeks after I did, uh, amputee boxer. Um, Mm -hmm. and we talked about how I was around him for the better part of three years. And Mm -hmm. there were several times I forgot he was an amputee because you, there's so many of you guys who you don't even know. Yeah. You're, you like, you like me like to wear shorts a lot. So it's kind of obvious. Yeah. yeah. But, well, it's too freaking hot for pants. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm fat, dude. I generate my own body heat, especially in the, in the middle region. I don't need pants, but, but I get shit for that all the time. It's cold weather and I'm wearing shorts. Yeah. I didn't put on pants at all during. How the hell are you wearing shorts right now? It's freezing. I only got one leg to worry about. <laughs> shit. I'm fine. But, um, my point to that whole diatribe was simply at that point in time, I, what was that? Like four, 2014, 2015, when you got the- I originally hurt my ankle was, uh, I think it was 14, 15. So what, 16 when you got the amputation? Uh, 17. Okay. So where I was going with that is by that point in time, there had been military members who had had amputations. I think there was even some above the knee amputations that- were returned to service. I can think of at least one SEAL and maybe one army officer or Marine officer who actually went back to combat. Did yeah. you think at any point in time you were going to try to stay in? I, I really wanted to. And I, I started talking to a couple chief buddies of mine and with, with Navy being on the ship, you have to be able to fight fires. Like you don't have a 911 to call. You have to be able to do it. And, kind of looking into it with me being an amputee, you can't go and fight a fire with something that's going to radiate heat. Right. So I would have been stuck shoreside, which would have significantly hindered my advancement as a CT because you're supposed to rotate ship, shore, ship, shore. Oh, okay. Um, they talked about me cross right into YN and fuck that. You don't want to be a YN? Papers. I don't want to push papers. No. So they gave me, they gave me a couple options, but it was just, it wasn't what I signed up to do. And I didn't. Well, at that that point you would have been at what? uh, 12, 12 years, 13 years. years. Yeah. About 12 years. So it would, it would have been a long stretch for, uh, to hit 20. Though you would have hit 20 because as a first class, you could have retired as a, as a first class. Yeah. Yeah. I could have. But, you know, if it was, if I was some, if I was at 16, 17 years, yeah, I'd grind it out for two to three years, whatever I had to do. You know? That would have, that, that would have just been one more, uh, one more duty station at that point in time. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's, but with me being, I mean, I was just under halfway. I was in nine, nine years, just short of nine years when I, I or no, just short of 10 years when I got out. Oh, okay. So the whole another 10 years would have been too much, you know, and staying at first class for 10 years when all my buddies would have been chiefs and senior chiefs and master chiefs. So just, it would have been kind of tough to deal with that. But so that's right. Cause I remember you, uh, when we went to warrior games, that was basically your last weekend and you were active duty still. Yeah. Yeah. I keep thinking that you were already, uh, out, out. No, I was, I was active all through that process until we got to Colorado 
I medically retired right before my retirement date was, I think it was like the third day, third or fourth day we were there for our training days. Yeah. And I remember I got, when it hit midnight that day, that next day I went to a dispensary and celebrated. Uh, I don't know who went with you. (laughs) So, (laughs) so let's, let's talk about going into the adaptive sports program. So what did you expect when you finally said yes to Megan? I honestly, I didn't even know what to expect. I mean, they talked about volleyball, basketball, this sort of stuff. And I was like, well, I'll go try it. I mean, I'll try everything. Give it a shot. And that's what Megan suggested. She's like, you know, it's your first year. Try everything. Did you stuff to, you know you're good at, do it. Did you go to a camp first or did you go to a trial? Uh, I did an introductory camp out here at Randolph. Oh, okay. okay. To the Air Force. Uh, me and, you remember Paige Robinson? Yeah. Um, it was me, Paige, and a couple of people went to, invited out to this uh, uh, intro camp that Randolph we went through that. And it was fun, man. Basketball was, uh, basketball wasn't my thing. Uh, but the shooting was fun. The the archery, we didn't get, no, we didn't get to do archery that, that camp. We did the shooting, um, weightlifting, you know, just, just shot put discus, all that stuff. And I remember playing volleyball and I got done and I was like, fuck this sport. My ass hurts. I feel like I broke my tailbone. I ain't playing it. I'm not doing it. So people understand, uh, volleyball is seated on a basketball court. Yes. So you can imagine you can't get up. You can't, um, no, you can't have butt pads because it's unfair advantage. Like no, uh, no lower body movement. So anytime yeah, you have to move, you're kind of like you're saying bouncing on your, you're using, your you're using your legs and you're using your arms. But I mean, I suffer from, uh, self-diagnosed disproportionate ass syndrome. So from the atrophy of my leg, my right cheek's a little bit smaller than my left cheek. So, I kind of had to balance and oh man, I was, I felt like I just got done riding horses and I went to the, we went to the camp and I went through volleyball and I, I didn't want to give up cause it was starting to get fun. And it was, it was basketball it was right after volleyball. And I just told the coach, I was like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do this. I can't even sit down. I got to stand up, walk around for a little bit. So I made the volleyball team, but I, I didn't, I didn't make the basketball team, which I was fine because my tailbone hurt. I mean, yep. still to this day for Invictus after a practice, I'm hurting. Oh, I believe it. Good night. So, um, when you got to Mayport, was that, you knew you were going through a med board and you knew you were going out, you were going to be medically retired. Yeah. Was that a bittersweet going back to where it all started? Um, yeah, I mean, I ran, I mean, I ran into some people that I was on the freight with that didn't even know that I got hurt and I went through that and they looked down and saw I had a prosthetic and like, what, I, what happened? You know, um, I had some family there I was able to see and, um, you know, it was, it was, it was very bittersweet. Um, but it was more so of, you know, bitter of damn, like this is, this is it. Like my, my Navy careers, it's right around the corner coming to an end here. Um, but it was nice because, you know, you meet these amazing people and, you know, I'm thankful for everything that, that everyone involved with that program did with getting me out to the trials and the camps and the games and, 
but the best thing about it was you guys, you know, the other athletes, you know, um, yeah. getting to talk to you guys and, and, and talking it out of, you know, you dealt with this and this is how you dealt with it. And, um, that was the best part, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I'm going to miss more so than anything else from these, from the warrior games and the team Navy and is the teammates, not so much the, the coaches and, you know, staff members, you know, coaches, yeah, I still talk to a couple of the coaches, but the the actual athletes, that's, you know, memories I'm going to have of us, us going to Home Depot to buy PVC pipe to put the flags on for yeah. uh, opening ceremonies, you know. What, what was that like for you? Um, we get to call, we get to Colorado, well, we do two training camps, mm-hmm. uh, one in Port Wenimi, and then you guys do one and that does San Diego. We did San Diego. No, that was that. That was a trials for 2019. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know cool? if you went to the the Bethesda one. Um, no, I didn't do the Bethesda. I just did me. Then we all show up in um, Colorado Springs. Why did I draw a blank on that? Yeah. No, I did do Bethesda. I remember that because I think that was like I don't. I don't remember what it was, what, what sports were out there, but we're out in um, Colorado Springs for what, a week before the games start. Yeah. And then a week for the games. And then we had track and field was the first event and it got canceled because the wind, my God, that was crazy. That was insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then we do our opening ceremonies. Mm. I always watching the Olympics always wondered why the hell are these people having their phones out? Shouldn't they be soaking in the You're moment doing this? And then you, myself, and I forgot who else, uh, I got a pirate flag. You got a don't tread on me flag. Yeah. And we it's just be, our flag, yeah. we came out and it was like, Oh, Oh, I get it now. This is why they do it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, and I was torn when we were, we were getting ready to go out. I was like, man, yeah, yeah, I'm waving a flag, but do I want to have my phone and record this? And I thought about it. I had my phone out. And then as we're getting ready to walk out, I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm living the moment. I put my phone back in my pocket and I just tried to soak it all in, you know, like yeah, the memories, the pictures, the memories are here. You know, do you think participating in the games the first time uh, helped with your recovery? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you know, after the amputation and, and whatnot, I mean, I kind of had to rediscover who I was, like, what am I going to do now? Who am I going to be now? You know, what am I capable of? You know, I couldn't, I just finally got a leg that's not a running leg that I'm actually able to run in three or four months ago. Oh, wow. I just now started being able to run again. Um, you know, but hiking, um, riding a bike, you know, just simple stuff like that. Um, it was, you know, I didn't know who I was going to be, what I was going to be capable of or what my limits were going to be. And, you know, getting to go to the warrior games and, and team sports, individual sports, I was actually able to see, okay, well, you know what? Yeah, I can do this. I can still do this. And I'm not, I'm not, my life's not over as far as being athletic or, you know, competing or, you know, being able to do stuff and active, you know, aspect of things of life. But so that was, that was really good for me to be able to reestablish that baseline of, all right, now I know I can do this. 
I can only go up from here. I'm going to start working on this. I'm going to start working on this. And, you know, that's yeah, absolutely, I think 100% helped. So then you get picked up after the games. I mean, you meddled. Uh, I forgot what you meddled in, but you did meddle in. Uh, for where, uh, I got my thing right here. I, got, I, made my, I made my shadow boxes. I don't even see it, but. Oh, nice. Uh, so it's uh, Colorado Springs, Invictus, and then Tampa. Oh, nice. Down there. So, yeah, Colorado Springs was silver and shot, silver and disc, um, silver. Shit, I don't remember what I did. <laughs> Chocolate, the gold was for volleyball. Uh, oh, and then two rowing events. I did the two rowing. Okay. Yeah. And then Tampa was gold shot, gold disc, gold volleyball, bronze for powerlifting, silver rugby, and then bronze. What was my other bronze for? Golf. Yeah. And then I got bronze and uh, shot put. An Invictus, and then a silver in discus at Invictus. So you were saying um, about the uh, trials and about the games that, you know, it's about the athletes. And we yeah. really did become kind of like a small family. I, I still talk to a lot of people from our team. Absolutely. I mean, sure, yeah, we became family. Yeah, we did. That's what I was going to bring up. I mean, we There was a group of us that went so far as to get uh, matching yeah. tattoos. So, um, what was, what was it like when you got the word that you were going to Invictus? What did that say to you? I was in trouble, man. I really did. We were at a, we were at camp at Port Hanimi and it was Elizabeth or, or Marty. I was in a van with, uh, with Jamie, uh, Garza. We're in the van and 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 it was oh it was it was was a mile it was Marty or Liz, but they turned around and they looked like okay, it's you guys, you guys need to be at this room tonight. Oh, and it was uh uh Headington who was in there too. And I'm like, fuck. So we get a van, I'm like, shit. Like, are, are we in trouble? I'm like, what's going on? Why are they just want us three? Because I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong what's going on here? And I had, I had Garza and Garza was like, I don't know, man. He goes, could be something about games, you know, schedule change, or he goes, I have a feeling it could be about Invictus. I was like, Invictus already. And then sure shit, they pulled us in. They're like, all right. You know, and they had a whole list. Like you're going to, you're going to Invictus. And I was like, Oh man, it was one of those, you know, getting called to the principal office to get a reward. Like, Oh man, so much trouble, but I don't know what I did. And then, Holy shit, I'm going to Invictus. So you represented Team Navy like I did, and that was a big deal. Um, but now you're representing Team USA. Mm -hmm. Did Was there a weight on your shoulder? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I was excited to go to Australia. Um, I always wanted to go down, and I was golfing. I mean, I was so fired up to go golf in Australia. Um, yeah, I was... It was, you know, so we're Team US, but it was still very compartmentalized, you know, like for the training camp uh, that we did, it was actually in Port Hanimi. 
it was still, it wasn't just like, Hey, like, Team Invictus, it was armies. You give your, you're going to do your meeting here. Air Force, you're going to be here. Navy here. Marines here. We were still separate by branch. Oh, it kind of took the aspect of the team out. And a lot, I mean, a lot of us were like, what, what is this? Like, this is, this, we're not going to be a team. And then we get over there and it was like, hey, come support your teams. What? Now we're a team. But I mean, it was, um, unbelievably humbling experience to be selected um was an honor you know um it was i'm looking up at my my uh shadow box now uh it was i don't know man it's it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to express just how how it felt you know it was it was stressful but it was very humbling to be accepted uh you know it was an honor but it was you know do I really deserve to be here? Like, am I going to be, the, am I literally, am I the best option for team us at this or at this? And I don't know, man, it was, it was it's hard to explain, you know? Yeah. Um, I got my, I got my tattoo out of it, which I'm pretty excited about. I took the uh, boxing kangaroo. I, sh- I don't even think I should have used a tattoo. Did I? No, please tell me it's in a uh, appropriate. Yeah, it's place. in a good spot. I think. <laughs> oh, nice! The kangaroo. I took his boxing out and I made him a golfer. Sweet. So that's my uh, that's my golfing tattoo for uh, being able to play down under. Oh man! So I know you were saying earlier that. Um, when Megan first approached you, you were like, I'm not a wounded warrior, combat yeah. wounded. Did that finally go away? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I still, you know, that's kind of like, it's a bittersweet thing about kind of stepping away from, you know, the warrior games and the adaptive sports kind of in general is, you know, I always kind of had that eating at me that, you know, somebody out here is there's, there's somebody out there more screwed up than I am. There's somebody that needs this more than I do. You know, um, I've always kind of battled with that. Um, even the last year's warrior games, I mean, I still kind of struggled with it of, you know, there's, there's so many more people out there that don't even know about these programs that could benefit from them. Uh, Valor games, you know, is another thing. If you're even curious about getting into adaptive sports, look at the Valor games and see where they're coming in, like what, what regionals are around you and go compete, get a taste of it, see how you feel, what you like, what you don't like, and then contact your service rep. But, you know, the being able to compete and stuff, I mean, that's cool, but, you know, it's, it's just icing on the cake. But the best part of it is, is you you get to make friends and family essentially with not even just people from your service, but other branches, you know, other countries. Yeah. So, which I mean, we had a small taste of that in Colorado. We had what the Brits, uh, the Aussies, and Brits, Aussies, uh, Canada. Oh, that's right, the kind people. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I think that was it, pretty much. I think so. The in nineteen they had Netherlands. Oh, did they? oh probably because they were. Yeah, we sponsored and the Navy we sponsored them, so they were in our hotel. We were hanging out. They were hanging out with us. Nice. Uh, so, 
how long till Space Force gets its first team? Shit, I don't know. I'll, <laughs> I'll re I'll re up in Space Force. Be the representative. So um, let's jump to the, the 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 thing in the room. So you were going to go to Invictus, and we started out talking about this um, back in 2020. Yep. It got pushed back. You didn't go to the. You weren't at the camp in January. So there were several of us that were there in 2018 that didn't do 2019, like Jules and myself, who ironically, we think we may have been patient zero for COVID because we were eating at LAX the day that we came in, which was Mm -hmm. about the same week that COVID came in at the international terminal right next to Cathay Pacific Airways. Nice. Uh, (laughs) But, um, so this thing happened where on, and I know the day literally because I had a 5k the next day on March 13th, uh, the governor kind of said, we're going to ban large gatherings mm. sometime between, uh, when I saw you at Fort Sam and the last time we saw each other, you got married. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're in what your first full year of um marriage? Yeah, we uh we hadn't made a full year. Uh we got married September fourth, twenty twenty. Oh oh damn. Okay. I didn't yeah. realize, yeah. So where I was going with that is so how how did the pandemic and the lockdowns affect you? Um well we we, we haven't had a kid, so uh, didn't affect us that much. Uh, some people have, you know, went, went into quarantine two, coming out three. We didn't have that, but you know, it was 2020 was rough for a lot of people. Um, and it breaks me a lot. A lot of my friends that are small business owners are out on their butt. now. you know, they got, they got, they got kicked in the nuts. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's the whole thing of being humble and realizing what you have. Um, we were blessed as our family as a whole. Um, my sister and brother-in-law who never thought they would be able to have kids got pregnant, had their baby, my niece, Everly, um, my sister-in-law and, um, brother-in-law, they just had their second baby, which they didn't think they were going to be able to have kids. Yeah. I got married the love of my life far better than I deserve. Um, two amazing stepkids. Um, new house working on being debt free it's you know still donating to the church and and trying to give out the blessings as much as we can you know um 2020 has been a pretty good year did it affect your your uh care uh oh yeah i mean my my i tweaked my elbow and i've been trying to get an mri for probably over a year now Oh, wow. And because of COVID, they're only taking emergency appointments for MRIs and stuff like that. So it's, I've, they've been constantly just giving me, here's this, take this, here's this, try this, here's some steroids, take this, or, you know, so it's have some impact, you know, prosthetics through the VA has been shut down. Uh, prosthetics at the CFI has been reduced uh, significantly. They're only taking people a few days a week and, allowing so many people in at a time and you know physical therapy is completely done there now it's just primarily prosthetics 
Oh, wow. Okay. So it, it really has been effective. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely hindered it, you know, and that was kind of a thing too. going to the CFI, you know, you're going, you're going to a, a place where you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are screwed up, you know, missing legs or damaged limbs. And, you know, these people that are, they're coming there for their first time, you know, adamant or, you know, I'm not really sure they're questioning everything, you know, and then you tell them, it's this place saved my life. Don't worry about it. You know, you're going to be all right. Um, I think that's the one thing I really miss the most is being able to talk to other veterans, their service members. Cause I was there. I didn't realize what this place was going to be. If it was going to be worth a shit, who was going to save my life or if I was just even going to make it through tomorrow. That was one of the things I noticed. Um, I, when I was going through my recovery, there was, I was at the CFI for OT for nothing big, just, you know, rehabbing hands. Mm -hmm. But I do remember from Eric and several other people that I knew that were amputees over there. Like there was almost a mentorship program that people who had gone through the process would always be there hanging out, talking to the, the girl downstairs or some of the, the techs. And then when someone new came in, they would be there to help them understand that things are going to be okay. Look at me. I'm a double amp. And I'm walking eight months after, after, you know, that happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, even the people there, like they were, that are, they're still patients over there further down the road. Yeah. You know, um, like when I was going through, that was another thing with warrior games and I was talking to Megan, I was at a, I was at a bed sitting down getting evaluated and to my right, there's a, a, a seal that the, he was, you know, there's, I was talking to my doctor about the whole wounded warrior thing and, um, the warrior games and all that. I just, I was basically saying, you know, I don't feel like I deserve this, whatever. And the seal was like, dude, he was, I've been shot. You know, I've been going through this. He goes, I'm going to get more support through my community alone than you will ever get through the whole Navy. Don't think you don't deserve this. You signed up, you served your country, you got hurt, even though it was some ridiculous accident or not your fault, you know, whether it was a motorcycle accident or a car accident or you, you slipped and fell, whatever, you still signed up and served, you get hurt. You know, it's, it, you got hurt on their watch, you know, and it, it took that conversation with him basically tell me to pull my head on my ass and stop being so hard headed. And not that you're asking for help, but it's not wrong to accept help. Right. I, you know, I, and then down the road, I was able to turn around and give that same advice to an, a, a new patient, you know, a, a junior sailor that was going through the same stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you came down here to do all of your recovery because this, this town uh, outside of just the CFI has so many people who care about uh, wounded oh, warriors. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if you got involved with Operation Comfort at all. Um, no. They were, they're a really good organization. They do a lot of like bike, bike stuff. And um, they had something back when I first got here called Automotivation, where they had a ranch. uh, I don't even know where the heck it was, like 20 minutes outside of town, where they set up a whole auto body place where you, they were taking apart engines and stuff like that. But that's just what this town is, is. Oh yeah. Military City, USA. I mean, all they, all San Antonio really did is just beat San Diego to the trademark. Yeah. But I mean, you I don't know. At- I, I, when I was over at Bethesda, I just didn't feel the local community as in, as invested as here. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's definitely different by geographical region for sure. 
but I mean, it's with the, with, I mean, joint base San Antonio so woven into the community here. It's, yeah. it really is a whole different thing. I mean, you look at, I mean, Texas in general, yeah. I mean, how much they put towards veterans. There's just, I mean, short of Alaska, you know, shit, I think it's probably up there for number one, you yeah. know, well, um, fun side fact I learned from a friend of mine who uh, grew up here. Uh, Fort Sam used to be an open base. Like, so New Braunfels Road that goes yeah. through it, you would, there were no gates. Yeah. You would just drive right through the base. Like, no that, shit. yeah, that was completely open pre 9 11. Yeah. I know a lot of bases pre 9 11 were very relaxed and yeah. whatnot. But so like they would see, he would say that like they would drive through and there'd be a graduation ceremony going on for one of the, the schools. And yeah. so everyone here, if you lived on the north side of the base and you worked on the south side of base, you would drive through to get to work. And so I think people just get, got so used to being around the military here. Yeah. But um, so other than getting married, which is like huge to hear. Yeah. Um, are you ready for COVID to be over? Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't mean that's unpopular opinion. I don't, I'm not going to put too much of my shit out there, but, um, you know, there's, there's so many people that when it's a 90, 99, 98% survival rate, you know, um, I definitely, it needs to be over because, you know, the, the average American, the, the small business owners, they're, they're just in debt and may not ever be able to get out of it. Yeah. You know, you need to get back to work. And that's, I'm, I'm, there's, it's two-sided thing with, with Abbott opening up, you know, I mean, it's, it's good. I mean, especially just for the mental aspect for a lot of people is, you know, get out, you know, not being trapped in your house and, not necessarily just going out to these big events, but just getting out of your house and be able to go hang out at your family's again, or go to barbecues. And yeah, I'm not going to go to a, to a freaking concert, you know, or whatever, but be able to have a barbecue with some family or friends and not have to worry about getting in trouble or people thinking down about you. Like, I, you know, well, you know, I noticed since this, it's so weird to say this since the snow melted, um, that, the amount of people who have been coming out have been just steadily rising and it, it's tying in directly with the temperature. It's getting warmer out. Oh. So, I mean, we were at, warm, yeah. we were at 75% a couple of weeks ago. So the jump from 75 to hundred doesn't seem like it's a big deal. It's not a lot, but I think it's more so of a comfort for a lot of people that were on the fence. Yeah. You know, and Hey, you know what, if you're, if you're still concerned about it, wear a mask. Yeah. And yeah. that's, he even said, I'm not a big fan of Abbott, but he did say that like, Hey, wear a mask. I have my own opinions on masks. I yeah. make them very clear on my other channel. Um, yeah. That being said, I'm happy that you're going to have the choice. And guess what? I also yeah. say this to people. If a business asks you to put a mask on, put a damn mask on. Yeah. They're, they're out there every day. And like we just said, small businesses are struggling. Help them no. out. Just if you don't want to give them money, then go somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the only thing that's pissed me off about the last year is that on all issues, people have been go losing their marbles. Yeah. 
and they're doing it a lot of the times for likes. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, that, I mean, it's, you look at our cancel culture now too. It's, it's, Oh, that guy's going to make me wear a mask. I'm not going there. And the cancel, the cancel culture bullshit goes both freaking ways. It does. You know, Dr. Seuss, I'm going to cancel that or these Confederate, you know, statues and this, Oh, and I'm not going to do that. Right? They need to be torn down. I'm not going to watch that show. I'm not going to do this. And, but then they're the, so that's predominantly left. Okay. But people on the right, like, I can't believe they're, they're going to cancel this. They're going to cancel that. This is bullshit and blah, blah, blah. But fuck Colin Kaepernick. I'm not going to watch any football games because he's protesting. And I'm not going to watch this because they're, they're putting black lives matter stuff on the court for NBA. It's back and forth. Don't get mad about them canceling this when you're going to cancel all sports because somebody's kneeling for racial injustice that is rampant in the country. I will give yeah. them that. Um, and at least he's kneeling and he's, he's honoring the fallen men and women yeah. who serve for the country for our freedoms and not sitting down. Yeah. People don't, they need to, people need to step the fuck back. Yeah. Well, I, and with him, the situation with him in particular, one of the stories I heard was he talked to someone who was a wounded warrior and ask, what's the way to do it respectfully? I mean, because the disrespectful way would be just to turn your back and, yeah, and sit, or sit down or, or start the, yelling and screaming or do, do acting like an idiot. Yeah. And I think it was, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was a seal. See, that's or, the one I thought I heard was a seal. I think it was a seal. Sat yeah. down and reached, he actually reached out to Kaepernick and yeah. said, let's sit, let's talk about it. And Kaepernick, and he told him like, hey, don't sit because that's, I get you in a protest and you have every right to protest for what's going on. Yeah. But do it respectfully, Neil, at least, and that's the way because we do it when someone dies overseas, we're deployed on a fob and someone dies, we put their boots, their gun, their, their dog tags, their helmet. And we're, when we, we go, we kneel in front of it, we pray. It's a way to honor their sacrifice. At least do that. So he did that. But people up in arms, oh, I can't believe he's doing that. I'm not going to watch football. I'm not going to give him my money. Okay, you're entitled to your opinion, but don't get pissed off when somebody else is going to cancel this, this cancel culture, people just need to step back. And the problem is when are, when are people going to realize that this is what the government wants? They want us to fight because the more divided we are, the easier we are to control. Yeah. I'm not one of these deep state conspiracy theorist people, like just step back and look like, I don't care. Cassidy, right? She's, she's a gay woman and I love her wife, Katie, they're sweethearts. They're very left. You know, then you get some people, um, other people that we know, they're they're hard right. And it's you, you guys are you're 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 two folks in your worlds instead of just stepping back like yeah. you and I can and see idiots on both sides, or yes, you have a point, you have a point, but step back and look at it as a whole because the more we're fighting each other, that's more bullshit that's gonna pass through and it's yeah. It's scary, man. I mean, when you're going to get upset at and uh, I like yeah. talking to people with big brains and um, who can see things multidimensionally. Yeah. And I hope that I get to talk to some more people from your side of the background, uh, Intel and that, because I mm -hmm. think that, that I do have some friends that have been in that, that world who sadly are more left and have lost sight of like, look I know what they teach you to an extent. I, I've yes. been around and you coming from your last command, 
probably have some good insight on if this was, if things were being directed towards, say, a foreign insurgency. Mm. This would probably look more like what they would want to. Straight out of the freaking handbook, man. Straight out of the handbook. So control the information, control the masses. You control the flow of information. You control the opinions. Yeah. So on that note, let's hope we don't run into an insurgency. You're going to get banned. You're going to get banned on Facebook. I I get banned all the time. No, not really. I'm actually fairly calm. But I want to thank you for coming on, man. This means a lot to me. Um, I'll let you know when it goes up. It's probably going to go up this week, if not next week. No big deal. Got to get together. Um, I'm getting that blind built. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. I'll text you a picture, man. I got my platforms. It's a six by six and it's eight feet in the air. Nice. So yeah, built it by myself. I'm sore. You need to get some cameras out there and see if you can, if any access comes out. Uh, I've, I've buried some mineral blocks. Um, I got two blocks buried and I got a, um, big trench he dug out with his, uh, my buddy's tractor and it's mineral powder and you pour a gallon of water in it and it like blows up and kind of crystallizes and you oh, filter wow. back in over it. And apparently Axis love that shit. Cause you're, you're in an area where Axis come out, right? Uh, they're a little bit more North, but okay. I mean, I've had trail cams right now. We got, we got some pretty decent last year had some pretty decent bucks, shit ton of does. Uh, and Apparently, whatever I did was was pretty appealing or attractive because now we got hogs out the ass. So nice. Well, yeah, so hog- we're raising up the blind and we're gonna start wasting some hogs. So if you wanna if you wanna come out and shoot some hogs and get some some tender lines or some back straps, let me know. Let me, I, I will. I will. I'm gonna end the recording. Cool. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you can follow us on social. Check us out at our website, modernronin.com, on Instagram, The Modern Ronin, on Twitter, at TommyChase01, and you can always support us at modernronin.locals.com. This is our locals group, and it would be great if you guys joined and subscribed. Some great benefits. Talk to you guys soon.